It is good to see you today. A uh, couple of things that I want to, to share with you before we, before we go to work here. One, just another plug for Secret Church. I know Dad's already kind of pushed that your direction. I, I, I want to encourage you uh, to make an effort to be a part of that. I think it's going to be such a cool night. I actually got some of the questions along the way. It's like, Jeff, but I can't walk a long way. Okay. The video that we did to kind of promote it had a guy like walking the path through the woods. We're not walking the path through the woods. It, it, you could actually drive right up to the door and we can let you out if you can't walk a long way. Seriously. So for those of you where, where the physical part of that, we literally can drive you, you know, right to the door. Uh, it, it, it's really, it's going to be a building that we will be inside of, all right? So we're not going to be in the, in the middle of the woods uh, so whether it rains or not, we're good. We're, we're in a building. Even though there's no Wi-Fi, <gasps> your phone works. Your phone will still work there, all right? So it's going to be okay. It really is. Uh, we just want to be able to go to a spot that, that is not at one of the normal campuses due to the, the point of the, of the whole deal is just reminding us about our brothers and sisters around the world who, who don't often meet in the luxury that we do when it, when it comes to a time of worship. So I encourage you to do that. One more thought. Um, think about the people who are a part of your church family who might not be really comfortable with driving after dark. And so if you know some people within our church family that really might not be comfortable driving after dark, why don't you just check with them? and say, hey, could you use a ride? You want to ride with us? And just kind of, let's, let's take care of each other and make it as possible as we can for as many people to be a part. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. Um, I'm going to give you some teaching that night that I think will just be foundational for helping you continue to follow Jesus. I think it's going to be a good night together. All right. I want to introduce uh, somebody very special to us. I say introduce. A lot of you have, have known him for quite a while. Um, this is Andrew, and we're glad he's here. Can you guys welcome Andrew? We have known Andrew for a number of years now as we've been traveling to Taiwan and then Taiwan uh, groups who have been coming here, and he's usually always a part of those lead teams of bringing students and others here. And uh, he's been involved in ministry for, for a long time there in Taiwan. Well, Andrew is here, and he's going to be here for the rest of 2018. He is uh, attaching to, to us as a church for that time period and just doing some ministry training. And so we're just going to walk that out together. So a lot of you who you may be in different leadership spots, uh, you'll see Andrew involved in lots of just all the ministry uh, strategy and philosophy and opportunities that we have at a as a church. You're going to see Andrew involved in all that as we're just training together and seeing where God might take us in all this. So, Andrew, we really are glad that you're here. And we're saying, just like always, Make yourself at home. I, th I know you already know a lot of folks, but look forward to a lot more of them getting to know you. We're glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Yeah. And you'll notice that Andrew's wearing a royal shirt because really early on, we, we, kinda, we got him to a baseball game and made sure he, you know, he had a royals attire, and so he's diehard. 
I mean, he's diehard. He's still, he, he'll still wear a royal shirt even this year, all right? <laughs> Come on, it's been a long baseball season, isn't it? It's been a long baseball season. Football is here. It's okay. You could cheer if you wanted to. Football is here. It's here. I, I especially this year, i just glad football's here because it's been such a long baseball season. But a part of what I like about football every year is it's just the whole fan base for football is a little bit different. And using the word different might be a nice way to, to describe a football fan base. I mean, I, I, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that my team won yesterday. Um, I'm going to admit to you, confess to you, I'm a bit shocked that they won yesterday. And for that purpose, I had already planned to, like, I'm wearing my colors, even if they lose. All right? Because a part of the point I wanted to make today is that when it comes to football, it's like, but there's always next week. That's kind of how we view it. It's like, okay, we lost this week, but there's always next week. Um, and, and just, the, you know, the cheering, I mean, I'm going to be cheering for Auburn in some weeks that are to follow. When they come up against the evil empire of Alabama, I will be cheering for Auburn, the team that, that you know, it's, it's like, you, you know, I, I'm just, there's something about a fan base. If, if you follow people who, they travel from place to place to go to football games, it's expensive. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, you, you got you to gotta buy the tickets and, and you got to actually travel. You know, you think about a college game. Uh, you got you to gotta have some place to stay and there's food to be bought and clothes that, that you got to wear. And football's weird because sometimes it's like 95 degrees and then other times it's like 5 degrees. And so you got to have this wide range of, of attire to be able to wear to the game. And then football fans, they're just, there's this passion that comes with it, Right? I mean, they paint themselves. Football fans paint themselves. They do. You, you, you don't see a whole lot of that at the baseball game, honestly. But football fans, they paint themselves. I thought about painting today. I did. Because I, I got a lot of billboard that I can, <laughs> I can communicate a lot with this billboard, all right? It didn't work out with some of the stuff I got to do this afternoon. It just wasn't kind of a clash. So I didn't paint today. But they paint themselves and they build signs and they shout and they clap and they dance. I'm convinced that football in our culture is one of the most vivid pictures of worship. It's one of the most vivid pictures of worship. Where people pour out their lives, they pour out their money, they they pour out their passion, they pour out their heart, is worship. And that should not be shocking to us because in this series we're talking about the fact that this is what we do. This is what we do. The this is worship. Worship, it's what we do. And today, um, I want to kind of set this thing up. It's going to take us a number of weeks to to walk through this, and today's kind of like the the setup. I want to give you just three truths that the Bible teaches us about worship. The first one, It'll take us a little while today. The second two, I'm going to introduce them, and then we'll be bringing them back in this series. But 
What does the Bible actually say about worship? Did you figure out the picture yet? Did you see it? It takes a minute, doesn't it? And then you see him? Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. This is the first truth. We all worship. We all worship. Now listen to what I'm saying. I'm not talking about all as in the Jesus followers. I'm saying we all as in every human being, we all worship. That's what the Bible teaches us. Because to worship is to give value to. Now our, our English word worship, it comes from an old English word, mean worth-ship. Two words, worth-ship. And it, and it is simply to give value to. That which we ascribe worth to, it is our response to what we value most. And it is the center of who we are and what we do. This is what we do. The problem is, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sin for the first time and sin enters this whole picture, the problem suddenly becomes our sin nature means that we have a bent to worship wrong things. We worship wrong things. So the second book of the Bible, what's the second book of the Bible? It's the book of Exodus, right? The book of Exodus is God is bringing his people out of Egypt. God warns his people. Now, why do you warn anybody of anything? I mean, think about it. Maybe it's a, a warning that you give to your children. Why do you warn them? You warn them because either they just did it or you expect that sometime in the future they probably will. That's why you warn anybody. It's either already happened, it's a past experience, or there's a future expectation. That's why you warn them. Warnings are interesting. When you hear warnings, I, the way I've often described it is, in my world, I can read a church's bylaws and tell you, most likely, the history of the church. Because most churches tend to react to things that have happened within them, and then they write their bylaws as a reaction to that, and so if you read them, you can kind of tell what's happened. I mean, you ever really pay attention to the warning labels that you tend to see, and then think about what that means has actually happened somewhere along the way? You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? We, 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 we got a few for us today. Really? Now, this one's kind of goofy because, I mean, somebody actually said we should put this warning, but by the time you got the warning, you kind of figured it out, right? Let's keep, seriously, look at some of these. Like, who was the person that, that, that made it so that somebody said, we got to put this warning on there? Did they really hold the chainsaw by the chain end of the saw? You see what I'm saying? Let's keep going. It's good to know, right? Good to know. Let's keep going. Was somebody really so busy that 
It's like, I think I'm just going to take a nap a while, right? I don't know a lot about hair dryers, so I don't know, but you, you, you might know. Really? Is that even possible? Keep going. Do not iron while wearing shirt is what it says. Somebody did that. You see what I'm, that's why they had to put the warning. Somebody did that. A couple more, I think. Oh, one more. It says safety goggles recommended. It's a letter opener. It's like, but I'm saying something happened, right, that some attorney had to get involved and go, we got to put this warning on here so it doesn't happen again, right? You look at the warning labels, and men, they tell a story. Well, get this. God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. That's a big deal. They were owned by the Egyptians. And in their exit, they stop along Mount Sinai for God to give them instructions. This is where God's going to give Moses the, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And think about the first two. Number one, no other gods. No other gods. Number two, do not make idols. And suddenly, we realize at the very first two commandments, God is saying, when it comes to your worship, I want this to be clear. Now, come on. If you are a reporter who is following this story of God's people coming out of Egypt, you have already seen God, not once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten we call them plagues, that, that God has sent in order to see his people released. I mean, just the most amazing things that, that your eyes could ever behold. When they exit, you watch him part a sea. He parts a sea, and they walk across on dry ground, and then he closes the sea back up to stop their enemy who is chasing them from behind. You can look into the sky and see this cloud that they follow every day. In the night, you can see this pillar of fire. That, that they know that their, their God is with them. If you are reporting the story, there's a part of you that's saying, why does God need to give this warning? Why does God need to say no other gods? Why does God need to say don't make idols? Who would ever turn from this God after all that he has done for them? But God gave the warning, not just because he knew them, but he knows us. We are designed to worship him. He built us. He created us. He breathed life into us, designed to worship him. But what he knows is that because of our sin and because of our enemy, we will quickly settle for less. So God calls a, a time out as they pass by Mount Sinai, and God begins to give them some of the first instructions about 
what would be best for them. And here is the people's response. Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Well, that's a good response. That's a good response to the God who just sent ten plagues, parted a sea. There's the pillar of fire. God, we, we will do everything that you have said we will obey. This is then the moment that God calls Moses back up the mountain. Back up the mountain. This is when God will actually give him the stone tablets with the commandments that are, that are written on them. And Aaron is left in charge of watching the kids. All right? Moses up the mountain. God's going to meet with him, give him the commandments. Aaron, you're in charge of watching the children while I'm gone. Simple responsibility, right? Check out Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods, little g. Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. In other words, we don't, we don't know what the deal is with Moses right now. We don't, we don't know where he is. Last time we saw him, he was headed up the mountain. But he hasn't come back down. So, Aaron, make us some other gods to lead us. Seriously? Seriously? It was Aristotle, the philosopher who, who used to make this phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. And what Aristotle w- was referring to was his, his conclusion was based on an observation that when he, when he looked at all of nature, he realized that every Space in nature had to be filled with something, even if that something was colorless, odorless air. Aristotle said when you look at all of nature, there, there's, there's no emptiness. There always, it always has to be filled with something. He's right. But it's also, it's, it's a spiritual law. These, these people camped at the base of Mount Sinai can't even go days. Something had to fill the gap. Here's the point, and this is, I'm going to say it this way on purpose. You cannot not worship. You can't. You cannot not worship. There are people that go, I, I don't worship anything. Yeah, you do. We all worship. We all ascribe worth to something. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that a, a little more here in, in a minute. But, but they, they, they said, Moses isn't here. He's the guy we've been following. So give us something else that we can follow. Aaron's response is, all right. Bring the gold. And it's specifically bring the gold earrings. 
You can read the story this week. You can read it in detail. Bring the gold earrings. Now, if you think about this story, we got, we got a people who were in Egypt as slaves. That's, that's typically not a setup that makes you wealthy, right? Slavery is not a setup that normally makes you wealthy. But these people have gold earrings. How did they get gold earrings? How is it possible that Aaron could say, bring all to gold earrings? Well, I'll show you. If you back up to Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, it explains, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, that's God's people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. In other words, when God sent the plagues in order to let the people be set free, God also made it so that the people who were about to exit, his people Israel, basically were able to take from the Egyptians who had held them in slavery forever and ever and ever, and they, God not only arranged the travel, he financed the travel. He didn't just set them free. He actually filled their pockets and gave them resources with which they could leave Egypt on this journey. In other words, these gold earrings represent God's favor. They represent God's gifts. And what are they about to do with those? They're going to melt them down, right? And they're going to form an idol. Oh, man, that was warning number two. And they're going to worship. Check it out. Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Really? The golden calf is the one we've been following out of Egypt? But isn't it wild that this is immediately where they, they turned even a gift of God into an idol? I'm, I'm saying sometimes I think that might be our biggest threat when it comes to idols, because what is a better gift than a gift that God gives? How are you going to get something better than what God gives? But sometimes it's the very gifts that God gives us that we turn into the very things that we worship instead of him. We want to mock these Israelites. We, we want to go, you, you guys are idiots. That's what we literally think. You guys are idiots. He just delivered you from slavery, all that you have seen. But the truth of the matter is they just happened to walk this out before us. And the truth is some of us, we got whole herds of calves. We got whole herds of calves. God is angry. And this time, he's not angry at the enemies of his people. He, he's angry at his own people because they gave him up within days, days, rather than trust. Now, now think about what's going on in the hearts of the people here. Moses heads up this mountain as God told him to. 
Now, we know he was gone for 40 days, which is a pretty significant period of time. We're in the middle of 40 days of praying, and so you kind of know how long this period of time is, is, is taking. And so Moses has been gone for this amount of time. But they don't know what's going on. Moses is up the mountain with God. They don't know what's going on. Could somebody tell us what's happening? Could somebody give us some information? Could somebody give us some clarity on what we're doing here? We just, we just came out of slavery. We're supposed to be on our way to a promised land, but here we are camped out, and it appears to me that nothing is happening. We haven't seen Moses in how many days. We don't know what he's doing. We, we don't know what's going on. And we like to know what's going on. So you know what we'll do? We'll reduce God to something that we can manage. And then we'll move him where we want him to be. Woo! It's like if I can't control it, and I need God to control it, but I'm not sure that he's really in control of it because I don't know what's going on and I can't figure out where he's working and I don't know exactly what's next. If I can't control it and I want God to control it, but he doesn't seem to be controlling it the way I want him to control it, then I'll just reduce him to something that I can control and I'll move him where I want him to be. Man, it would do us well to ask the question, man, God, God how am I doing this in my life? God, where are the places that I find myself wanting to shape you to be the God who moves like I want him to move, to be the God who does what I want him to do? I want to encourage you today to know God is not who we make him to be. Thank goodness. God is not who we make him to be. I'm going to mess some of you up for a minute. God is not a Republican. He's also not a Democrat. Don't fall out. He's not even an American. He's not our butler who's here to cater to our needs. He is the sovereign Lord who reigns over everything. You need to know he is not who we make him to be. He is the God of every tribe, every nation, every tongue. He does not ask for advice. He fears no enemy. He bows to no power. He will not be manipulated or intimidated or deceived. I cannot reduce him or control him. He is the almighty God. If he were to remove his presence or his spirit or his breath, all life would cease. He is a God who is holy, a God who is majestic, a God who is good, and a God who is gracious. He will not be put in a box, nor will he work on our timetable. He deserves my full attention. He deserves my full affection. He deserves my full devotion, my unhindered, unashamed, and unrestrained worship. He is not who I make him to be. Thank God, he is God. The way the psalmist summarized what happened that day, Psalm 106, 
verse 20. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. Whew. They exchanged their glorious God for a bunch of bull. I thought it was pretty good. Bunch of bull. What might be the golden calves in our life? And you're like, Jeff, you know, at least thank goodness there aren't any golden bulls anymore, right? Like literally no, no golden bulls. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. They're, they're still there. They're still there. I, I want to I talk to you for a few minutes about what some of those might be. What, what some of those might be. Let's talk to him for a minute, and we'll come back in the series and deal with some of them. But in our culture, the golden bull might be something we could, we could just cap as like something materialistic, something with, I mean, listen to what I'm about to say. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. It was God who gave them the gold earrings. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, so don't play that game. If you, if you think there's something wrong with that, then you're, you're misreading what Scripture teaches. Nothing wrong with being wealthy but there is everything wrong with putting your security in your wealth. And there's everything wrong with not using your wealth for God's purpose. Sin. Nothing wrong with having wealth. When God blesses you with wealth, nothing wrong with that. The wrong is when you start to put your security in that wealth and you're like, oh, I don't do that. Then the next question is, well, then do you use your wealth to bless those who have less than you? Do you use your wealth for God's purposes? And if the answer is no, then you probably put your security in it because you won't let it go. Here's the question that I challenge us to think about. I wonder what I would need if I didn't know what you already have. <laughs> I wonder what I would actually need if I didn't know what you already have. You see what I'm saying? That's our culture. That's kind of the world. That's the game we play in. It's like, man, it, I probably wouldn't need near the stuff that I think I need, except there's a whole bunch of people that got this stuff, and I don't have this stuff, so I need it. It's the game that we struggle with. I wonder how much I would give away to those who have less if I didn't know how much more you have. That's our game. Sometimes the golden bull can be materialism. Sometimes it can be our self. It's just our self. I, typically people go, I don't worship anything. Self is typically, we are the golden bull. It's got, God, what can you do for me? And whether that looks like comfort or it looks like leisure, it, it could, I live for the weekend, it's, it's television, it's recreation, it's vacation, it's substances that alter my, my mood, it could be appearance, but the, the bottom line is, what is it that makes me feel good? And then what about relationships? I mean, you, you think about God's good gifts. I think this is, this is one of those we struggle with where God gives us these great gifts of relationships, but if we're not careful, we turn the relationships into something that we value more. We trust more than even him. It could be the case with a friendship. It could be the, the case with your spouse. Um, last week was like a, just a tough talk. But the truth of the matter is, there's some of you in this room, and you got a great spouse. You got a great spouse. Loves Jesus with all their heart. They love you. You got a great, you got a great marriage. And because it's so good, there's a part of you that just can't imagine them not being everything 
and every once in a while, you know I warn you of this, your spouse can be fantastic, but your spouse is not a good God. They're not built to be God. They're not supposed to be your God. Only he can, can fill that void. The best of spouse cannot fill that emptiness in you. The, the biggest one, though, I think in our culture when it comes to this whole struggle is kids. It's kids. I'm telling you, in our, in our culture, the golden bull, what we worship when it comes to relationships can often be our kids. We live in a culture that is just saturated with the question of how do we make our kids happy. And all you have to do is watch people running ragged, trying to accomplish that. So much so that there's not even time for them to focus on their actual marriage. So much so that there's not really much time to even have our hearts turned toward God where we would spend some extended time with him. Because we're all so busy asking the question, we, you know, how can we make our kids happy? We don't want them to miss out on something. Even our, you know, even our whole education system is bombarded with these questions of how do we not hurt their feelings, right? Right? It was about a year ago, uh, Forbes magazine released an article by this title, Parents, Please Don't Attend Your Adult Child's Job Interview. No joke. Forbes magazine. It was just last year, August of last year. And they had all these statistics of how parents were actually doing this and how they were getting involved in, in trying to manufacture their kids getting certain jobs. And it was like, oh my. It's a sign. I'm telling you, it's the evidence. The idols, they can be our work, they can be our success, it can be winning, it can be religion. The question is, what are the idols? What am I worshiping? Only one deserves our worship, but we all worship. All right, next two won't take very long because we're going to touch on them and go back, but here's the second one. Not only do we all worship, but we all worship all the time. We all worship all the time. We have this tendency to limit our worship to something that happens in a specific place in a designated time, like now. And when we think of worship, we often think about it, it, it's this hour and a half or so where we come together and, and we sing and we, and we pray and we get some teaching. That is worship. But what we're going to find in this series is that worship is, is less about an event and it is more about our lives. The truth is we really don't go to worship. We actually come in here already worshiping because we worship all the time. All the time because we are always giving our lives to something. We are giving worth to something. The question is, do we worship the one that we were actually created for? When you turn the pages of the New Testament, the, the conversation starts to turn like this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that's an interesting 
couple of words there because when we think about sacrifice, we think death. We don't, we don't think living, but living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You ready for this line? This is your true and proper what? Worship. This is your true and proper worship. Sacrifice means death. That's what we think of. But in this particular case, he's saying a living sacrifice. It's this imagery that he's giving us of literally we are the ones who climb up on the altar to say, God, I am the offering, all of me. And he says this, this is your worship. Is th- you ever had to like buy a gift for somebody and they're one of those people that they like have everything? You know what I'm talking about? And, and I don't mean that they have to be like super, super, super rich or anything. I just mean maybe they've lived life long enough and they've done well enough that if they want something, they buy it. You know what I'm saying? If they need something, they buy it. And you're like, what am I going to get them? Because they, they just tend to get everything that they, that they want to have. I mean, I, what do you... What do you give the person who has everything? So what do you give the God who has everything? Well, what does he want? What does he want? He wants you. And the clarity is all of you. We used to sing, I can remember being a little kid, sitting in church surrounded by all these people, and we would sing this old song called I Surrender All. Some of you are old enough to remember, I Surrender All. And the older I got, and the more I got to know my own heart, and the more I got to know the people who were singing that with me, I, I realized we, we, we actually should have changed the words because we, we actually were all really singing I Surrender Some. I Surrender Some. At best, there might have been some in the room who could sing, I surrender most. But, but rarely did you see any of us actually surrender all. And we might think, well, that's a bit, that's a bit much for God to ask. I would, I would challenge you to realize that God is not asking more from you than he has already given to you. Because he gave all. When his son laid down his life, he gave all. Worship is so much more than Sunday. We're going to see it in this series. It is our response to God. It happens privately. It happens corporately. But, but it is our response. This is about who God is, and it's about what God has done. And it's about how we express that in the things that we say, in the way that we live. That is our worship. We all worship all the time. Three. We all will eventually become like what we worship. So we all worship. We all worship all the time. And we all will eventually become like what we worship. Back Romans chapter 12 again, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't become like this world. Don't become 
like the rest of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So here's, here's the picture. I, I climb up on the altar to say, I, I want to die to myself. It's like, Jeff, what does that mean? It means I want to die to my dreams, my plans, my purposes. No, I want God's dreams. I want God's hopes for me. I want God's plans for me. I think I got some good ones, but I'm telling you, his are perfect. That's what he's saying. And when you climb up on that altar saying, I'm dying to my plans. God, I want your plans, your purpose is your desires, when you say, I surrender it all to you, he says there is this transforming supernatural that is happening. He changes the way you see. He changes the way you think. And soon you will align to how God sees and God thinks. You will see his will, which is perfect. You are becoming like him. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said this, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Whatever you worship, you will obsess over. Whatever you obsess over, you will start to imitate. And whatever you imitate, you will become. Whatever you value most will determine who you are. And I'm saying that's worth letting go of the golden calves and saying, God, I want to know who you are. God, I want to know you. So let me give you one final scene Moses comes down the mountain, and when Moses comes down the mountain and he sees, and, and God obviously already knows what's happened with this whole golden calf thing, and the people are, are worshiping, right, the golden calf, you know what God says? I'm done. He says, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them all. Moses, I'm going to destroy all of them, and I will accomplish my promise that I have made through you. I'm going to do it through you, Moses, but they're done. And you know what Moses does? Moses says, get them. All they've been doing is griping at me since we came out of Egypt anyway, right? I mean, I went through all those plagues. I mean, think about it. Moses saw some things with his eyes that probably most people don't ever really want to ever have to see. You think about all those plagues. You think about all those deaths. You think about all that had to happen there. You think about the pressure that Moses felt. Think about the red, the, the, the sea that parted. Think, think about all that he went through, and all they do is whine and gripe and complain, and they bicker and they fight, and uh, Moses would be like, Psh, get them. That's not what he said. The Bible says that Moses pleaded for the people. Isn't that wild? He pleads for them. God, don't, don't wipe them out. Why would Moses plead for the people? I got an idea. 
Where has Moses been for the last 40 days? On the mountain. With who? God. And his heart sure is starting to look a lot like the one he worships. There's evidence of Moses already becoming like the one that he is surrendering everything to. God said, Exodus 32, verse 2, I will send an angel before you, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. I don't know why. There's a part of me that just kind of, it's like God's like, no, because I might take you out. So here's what God does. God goes, okay, Moses, I won't destroy them. I will send you into the land of promise. I'm going to send them in. And I'm even going to send an angel ahead of them. He's going to make sure that they get there. I'm going to take care of everything you need, but I ain't going. God says, I ain't going because I might wipe them out. So, like, what if God made the same offer to you? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, what if God said, hey, you'll never be sick. Never. You'll never be sick. Um, You're never going to have to go through any kind of pain or struggle. No conflict you'll ever have to go through. I'll make sure of that. What you ask for, I'll give it to you. You know that thing that you keep asking me for and you just keep asking me for it? Like even in this 40 days, it's like you you keep asking me for it because you think it's what you need. I'll give it to you. I'll I'll give that to you. In fact, I'll give you you heaven too. I'll give you everything. But you can't have me. God says, you can have all that, but you can't have me. How many people would take him up on that offer? And I'm, in a, in a scary way, I fear that that's kind of how a lot of people live. Like, God, as long as you can keep me well and you can keep me safe and you can keep me supplied and heaven is my promise of where I'm going one day when I pass from this life, And I'm not even sure if we slow down enough to actually know God himself. We like all the promises and we like all the blessings, but do we really know God himself? Here's what Moses said. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. Let me translate. God, if you ain't going, I ain't going. God, if you ain't going, I'm not going. God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going from here. Where has Moses been for the last 40 days? On a mountain? In the presence of God. And I'm submitting to you that once you know what it's like to live fully surrendered in the presence of God, 
that's all you will want. God, I know that there is nothing, nothing that compares to your presence. There is nothing in this world like you. And yet, God, as we start to, to walk into this series, we, we start to, to dig into your word and you, you teach us, God, what, what, what it really is to worship you. God, I, we, see, we see the danger. We, we see our tendencies. God, we, we, we realize where maybe some of us are at right now, God. At best, it may be that we are grateful for your blessing. We, we are thankful for all that you do for us. But I'm not sure how much we really know you. How much we really want you. How much we really worship you. So God, will you teach us? Will you give us a heart that's teachable? God, will you make us open even when it hurts that we might trust that you are good and that in the end you know there's nothing as good. There is nothing that brings as much joy. There is nothing that, that brings such peace. There's nothing like you. Nothing. And so God, help us to trust enough to lean in to trust enough to begin to climb up on that altar and let you read our lives and help us to follow. God, thanks for loving us this much. Thank you for a love that just doesn't quit. Thank you that you keep pursuing us. I pray for people here today, God, some your kids, God, maybe some who are not yet your kids, but as you speak, that you would give us the ability to hear your voice and that today we would take steps toward you. Give us faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray it. Amen.